This has been a challenging and encouraging series in the book of Corinthians, I hope, for many of you. And uh, this morning, before we get into the text for today, I want to offer some clarification on last week's sermon. There was some feedback on the content of my sermon last week. Understandably. Specifically, a comment I made uh, regarding same-sex marriages did not land as I had intended. What you may have heard as a very broad theological statement was actually meant to speak to our own particular Mennonite brethren church context and confession of faith. In response to that feedback, the video from last week has been edited to include a clarification on that point. I want to remind you that these challenging conversations are a crucial part of our congregational life, and we are committed to walking together in fellowship as we discern what faithfulness to the gospel of Christ looks like in the messiness of our own context and our community. As I said many times, these messages are meant to open the door to further dialogue and discernment as a body together. So that being said, let us continue on with Paul's teaching to the church at Corinth, a church that has found itself in all kinds of mess and messiness, all kinds of quarrels and divisions. He has been speaking to them, addressing the things he has heard about them and what they've been doing. And then in this last couple of chapters, he has been addressing questions that they raised, clarifications that they were asking for from a previous letter. We've talked about in the last couple of weeks where he addressed, where they said, you think this way and I am saying it this way. You have thought about things this way and the scripture says things this way. Today he talks about the attitude that we ought to take in various matters. Not just our attitude, but our actions. Our attitude and actions toward our fellow believers, our attitude and our actions towards those who do not know Christ and are not reconciled with him, as well as our attitude and our actions towards ourselves and our own lives. And so I want to follow those three points through the message this morning as we work through chapters 8 and 9. As I've said before, take the time to read the full chapter. We we don't have the time to read all of it here on Sunday morning, so we've selected some portions. But there's additional context that comes as you read the larger passages. So take the time later today to do that, to listen to what Paul is sharing with the church. This morning, he talks about the themes of freedom, liberty, the choices that we make, and the sacrifices that come as we consider the call of Christ in our life. The freedom comes from the Spirit of God entering into our lives. It frees us from religiosity, you know, checking off the boxes just so that you can say, oh, I'm good, I did it, I'm on the right side of the line here. It frees us 
from guilt and shame because of who we were and where we were as we have been forgiven and reconciled to God. And we are freed by the presence of the Spirit within us to live lives for the glory of Jesus, for the glory of God, and the joy of proclaiming his name wherever we go. This freedom, however, as Paul notes, is not a freedom to do whatever, whenever, however. It's freedom for a purpose. It's a freedom for God's purpose of reconciling us and drawing us into his plan, his story, his purposes for our life. And it is freedom so that we may walk fully as children of God, a people of God, united in our purposes for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a question for you. Those of you who have young children may be very well aware of what I'm talking about, and those who have not done this in a while may want to think for a moment. Have you ever gone for a walk with a toddler? Have you ever gone for a walk somewhere with, you know, a little one? Two, three, four years old? And depending on what age they are, you'll get different experiences of going on this walk. For those whose stability is still a little unsteady, who are still trying to figure things out, you have to be ready to catch them at a moment's notice or to guide them over the bump in the sidewalk or around obstacles to make sure they don't go and jump in the puddle over there or explore the fascinating pile of dirt. For those that are a little older and have a lot more energy, they want to go in every direction except the direction you're supposed to go. And you have to keep reining them back in, calling them back so that you can stay on the path. Walking with a toddler can be a joyful experience as well, not just one of constant movement and reining things in. Toddlers see the world from a very different perspective. They're closer to the ground, and they see many fascinating things there that we often skip over because our eyes are fixed on something further in the distance. You can learn a lot going on a walk with a toddler. I would encourage you, if you haven't done it lately, do so. If you don't have a toddler of your own, make sure you ask permission first. <laughs> we often talk about our life of faith as a journey or a walk of faith. And there's an African proverb that you may have heard, and I th I'm pretty sure I've used it in an illustration before because it's such a, a poignant kind of way of thinking about where we're going and how. It goes like this. If you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This is an expression of wisdom that comes out of the lived experience of a culture and a place that recognizes our need for one another 
but also recognizes the complexity of the lives that we live. There are times when you need to go fast, where you have somewhere that you need to go and you need to get there, and so you set aside everything that gets in the way and you go on your own, focused, because it needs to be done quickly. There's an urgency there. However, as is far more often the case, the journey is not one of such urgency that we must drop all others and continue on our own. Rather, we have a long way to go. And because of that, we need one another. We need the gifts that each person brings to the circle. We need the gifts of the innocence of the children. We need the gifts of those who have been broken and have a sensitivity to the dangers around us. We need those who have clear eyesight for what lies far ahead so that we can guide our direction as we go. We need one another. Sometimes we as a church get confused as to what kind of a journey we are on together as a people of God. This confusion leads us to have a sense of urgency about a particular action or destination that we want to get to, an objective that must be reached by all costs, by all means necessary. And if I have to go alone, then that's what I'm going to do. When we do this, we have lost sight of the calling that we have been given. The calling that we have, as Paul highlights again and again in the book of Corinthians, is that we have a calling to be a people of God. A kingdom people, shaped by the presence of the Spirit within us, imitating the person of Christ, walking in fellowship and unity I would argue that as a congregation, as a church, there are very few of our goals, very few of the objectives that are in front of us that are so important as to lay aside fellowship. Let me ask a question for you and think about this. Is it better to do the right thing for the wrong reasons or to do the wrong thing for the right reasons? In the way that we understand our faith, is it better to do the right thing for the wrong reason or the wrong thing for the right reason? I'm not going to answer that question for you. I will let you off the hook just a little. It's a false dichotomy. It's a fa- it, I'm setting you up. But it's something to think about. 
Because at the end of the day, when you do something that's the right thing for the wrong reason, you have still sinned. Because your motives, the matters of the heart, were not right. And when you do the wrong thing for the right reason, you have still sinned because you have done something which you ought not to do, but the motives of the heart were right. Carrying that question forward with us, let us consider Paul's words here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he talks about our attitude and our actions towards our fellow believers, those with whom we share faith. He talks about this example of eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And he recognizes not all of us are on the same place, on the same page here when it comes to this question. Because in that context, in Corinth, much of the meat that you would find in the marketplace had been sacrificed to idols. So how would you know whether you were eating meat that had not been sacrificed to idols or had? And what difference would it make? Paul says, look, you and I who have spent some time in these matters and are thinking in a more mature way, perhaps, recognize that idols are nothing. Idols are nothing. There is one God in this creation of ours. There is one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and idols are nothing. So something sacrificed to an idol, it's nothing. However, that's not the way we have experienced life. There's all kinds of emotions attached to the habits of our lives, and our conscience is active. And he says, if you have a conscience that I ought not to eat this because of what has been done to it, then don't. And that's okay. But if you have freedom, there's something you need to think about here. In verse 9, he says, But take care that this liberty that you have, this freedom, meat sacrifice to idols is nothing. It's no big deal. Take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Because there are those that are still really struggling with this idea and this concept. He goes on in verse 11 and 12 to say, so in this knowledge that you have, you go ahead and act in something where your conscience is clear, but in the, in the process, your weak brother or sister, the one that Christ died for and gave up everything for, is destroyed. And when you do this and sin against brothers and sisters and damage their walk of faith and wound their conscience when it's weak, you actually are sinning not against them only, but against Christ himself because Christ has given everything for the sake of that one. He goes on in verse 13 to say what lengths he's willing to go to then. Paul says, look, 
if this is what has to happen, I will give up meat forever if that's what makes the difference for my brother or sister. So that seals it. As of this week, Fort Gary will become a vegetarian church. No, that's not the point, is it? The question that was on the screen earlier said, what is an intentional choice that you have made for the well-being of someone else? Some of you may have had a very easy answer for that. I have a family member who struggles with addiction, and because of that, I don't go anywhere near the substance that is a matter of an addiction for them because of my care for them. It's an easy answer, maybe. For some of us, we struggled with that because at the heart of it, we're like, but I have freedom. This isn't, an, this isn't an issue for me. This thing over here doesn't bother me. I, I feel a freedom to go these places or do these things because I'm free in Christ and I know that I'm secure in him. Paul urges us that we, if we are walking together as a people of God, must be conscious of the needs and the conscience of our brothers and sisters. And when we do not take that into account and are not willing to sacrifice our own freedoms for the sake of our brother and sister, we actually sin against Christ. He goes on in chapter 9 to talk about the attitude and actions that we have towards unbelievers. In verse 19, he says... Though I am free, look, Paul, if there's someone who understands what Christ has done in freeing him, it's Paul. He has been set free in all aspects. And he says, if I am free with respect to all, but I have made myself a slave to all so that I might gain all the more. He says, even though I have this freedom to go and to be and to do whatever it is, I recognize that there's a calling that I have that leads me to a very different place of setting aside that freedom for the sake of those who do not know what God has already sacrificed for them. He has a whole list of the ways that he sets aside that freedom. He becomes what people need so that they can hear the gospel in their own hearts and in their own lives. For those who come from a Jewish background, he touches on and comes at, it, comes at the question from a Jewish perspective. Those who are Gentiles, he comes at it from a Gentile perspective. He does whatever it takes so that the message of God's goodness comes through. In verse 22 and 23, he says, I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some he has an urgency to this sacrifice. I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I might become a partner in it. One of the ways that we can enact this way of living and thinking here among us in our daily lives in this community 
is by recognizing that the gospel story of Jesus, that God loves you, that God wants to be in relationship with you and is ready to forgive and reconcile you to himself, is not just one singular story. It is a story with multiple facets. We call that gospel fluency when we can understand the different sides to the story of God's salvation for humanity. And knowing how we can come along someone in their own story and show them where God's story is waiting to receive them. For those who have fallen in a pit, God is the God who rescues. For those who are bound by their addictions, who are bound by their decisions and their past mistakes, there is freedom in Jesus Christ. For those who are broken and hurting and bleeding, there is healing. For those who are distant and estranged from others and from God, there is reconciliation. For those for whom the world is dark, there is hope and light. It is all one story. But each of us needs to hear a certain side of that story of God because that's where God meets us in our story. And if I am unwilling to lay aside who I am, what I am, where I want to go and what I want to do, that will never happen. Finally, Paul turns towards our attitude, towards ourselves, our actions that we take in our own lives. Some of you may be aware that this morning is the New York City Marathon that is being run. It's a pretty famous kind of thing. And there's 50,000 people that are running in this marathon. I don't understand it. Andre probably has a different perspective. Andre runs. I don't run. <laughs> Paul says in 924, 1 Corinthians, do you not know that, there, that in a race where all the runners compete, only one receives the prize? So if you understand that what you are in is a race, that there is a limited amount of time that is going to, that is in this life that you have, then run in a way so that you could win. You run in such a way that you can win. You do everything that you can to dedicate yourself to achieving that which you are setting out to do. There is an urgency in our own actions and attitudes that comes when we recognize that we have a calling. Because he says in 925, athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to get an, a perishable crown. See, in that day, they would get a wreath of leaves to wear on their head. Leaves dry up and wither away but we are running to receive an imperishable crown. A crown of the blessing of God. 
our inheritance as children of God in the kingdom of God. But what it requires is self-mastery and self-control through the power of the Spirit in our lives with the help of our brothers and sisters so that the gospel may always be preached in every moment of our lives, in every place that we go. You and I have been set free by the power of God as we've been reconciled to him, but we have been given this freedom so that we might serve with everything that we have for our brothers and sisters in the faith and for those who do not yet know the love of God. May we have hearts that are singularly fixed on the urgency of that calling. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us run the race well. Help us to serve you well. Lord, by your spirit, unify us and help us to walk in fellowship in faith and to lay aside our own freedom for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel. Thank you for listening to this message from Fort Gary MB Church. We hope that what you heard challenged you to think in new ways about Jesus Christ and the life that we are called to through his death and resurrection. If you have any questions about who we are as a church, our mission, or have any other questions in general, please do not hesitate to contact our office email at info at fgmb.ca. Be blessed.